the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. This is episode 81. My name is Alex Fitton, and I am so excited to be here with you guys whenever and wherever you are listening. You can find me on Facebook at Alex Fitton and the Adoptive Mom Podcast, and on Instagram at the Adoptive Mom. I also have Pinterest and Twitter and stuff. I'm not going to share that with you because, I don't know, people don't follow me as much there. So you can find me if you really want to. This is the third episode of season six, and it is with author and speaker and motherhood expert, Catherine Winch. Catherine is the founder and CEO of The Mom Complex, where she helps the largest companies in the world, such as Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, Chobani, the Discovery Channel, and more, better understand and support their mom, customers, and employees. She's also the author of Slay Like a Mother, and in it, she helps parents around the world destroy what's holding them back so they can live the life they want. She's been featured by the Today Show, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Fast Company, and she regularly regularly writes about the topic of modern motherhood for Working Mother Magazine and on the Slay Like a Mother platform. And y'all, Slay Like a Mother comes out in paperback tomorrow, March 3rd. To celebrate, Catherine and I are teaming up for a fun giveaway, so stay tuned for that. I cannot wait to share my talk with Catherine with y'all, but first, I want to join the masses of people harassing you for your email address. Listen, contrary to popular belief, I don't actually love technology all that much, and I would much rather sit down to a really great hot beverage with you and chat about all the things. Don't even get me started on algorithms and organic reach and all of the other crap that makes my husband so very happy to talk about and makes me just boil inside. All I know is that these things keep me from you, and I don't like that. But emails are often the closest to that coffee date that I can get because they go directly from me to you. I don't spam you. I only send you one email a week, and it's just a note from me, a new episode, and links to other stuff I have going on. So go ahead and scoot on over to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash community and sign up today. Okay, friends, let's go talk to the Slayer of Dragons herself. Catherine Winch. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And I'm super excited to introduce you to my guest today, Catherine Winch. How is it going, Catherine? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Absolutely. I'm excited. This is the first time I've ever talked to you, but you, uh, you met my husband at a conference and he was like, you have to meet this woman. So I am very excited to quote, meet you. (laughs) (laughs) It's adorable. I love it. Yes. And I have like gobbled up your book. And so now I'm a devoted fan for sure. Um, But just take a second and tell us about you, just who you are and what you do and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. I am the founder and CEO of a company called The Mom Complex, and we are consultants, and we work with some of the biggest companies in the world to help them develop better products and services for mothers. And then I am also a new author. Uh, My first book was uh, released in March, and it's called Slay Like a Mother, and it's a personal empowerment book to help women destroy what's holding them back so they can live the life that they want. I love that. And you, so, I mean, 
obviously you are a mom. So tell us about your kids. Yeah, absolutely. I have two kids. I have a 12-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. So I feel like we're in this really sweet spot right now where we're out of a lot of the physical labor of parenting and so much of the fatigue. And we're probably before all the mental heartaches that are coming our way. So I'm kind of soaking it up right now as much as I can. Absolutely. But you are in the taxi driver phase and I don't envy that at all. That is a, a very true statement. Um, we spend a lot of time. Uh, my daughter is a, in the car. My daughter is a big swimmer and my um, son is obsessed with soccer. So lots of practices and swim meets and games. But as my husband always reminds me, you know, there's only a short period of time that they're even in our home. And even if we're, you know, dragging them around in the car, it's not, you know, they're not going to be in our home forever. So enjoy it as much as we can. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, just like audiobooks and podcasts and all, you know, make it bearable. That's what my mom always told me. She was like, I just brought a book and some snacks. And that's what I did in the car. Well, that's so true. Uh, my Again, my son plays soccer and I live in Virginia and we had to drive to Pennsylvania, just the two of us for a soccer tournament, which I thought was an extraordinary distance to drive for a soccer tournament. But I listened to an entire audiobook going there and back. So it, it made it so much better. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so before we before we get down to, you know, your message and what you do, I wanna, you know, obviously you are not an adoptive mom. However, I think that what what your message is just about talking about st- stuff like shame and these really, really hard topics is absolutely something that we struggle with as adoptive moms. And there's this extra layer of like, not only do you have your own, you know, shame and trauma or whatever to deal with, but now you have someone else's too and combining those two. So I'm, I'm really excited to get just your perspective on all of this stuff. And I know so much of this is in the book, but do you mind telling us your story of like of self-revelation of how you, how you realize that we as moms could be doing so much more for ourselves and um, could be just living better lives than settling for uh, our dragons, as you call them? Yeah, absolutely. So from a very young age, I struggled with what I refer to as my dragon of self-doubt, which was this warped belief that I wasn't good enough, tough enough, thin enough, mom enough, you know, whatever enough. And it caused me to really work overtime to be seen as more than enough to make up the difference. Uh, But in my role as CEO of the Mom Complex, several years ago, I had the opportunity to study the lives of mothers in 17 countries around the world and the results really blew my mind. Mothers everywhere from Shanghai to Seattle revealed their own constant battle um, and with feelings of inferiority or lack or not feeling good enough. And knowing that I wasn't alone was very liberating. I thought I was a trash fire and everybody else you know, had everything all figured out. And the fact that I wasn't alone is what sparked um, a two-year self-help journey where I went to lots of therapy, read lots of self-help book, watched lots of Oprah episodes while drinking lots of red wine. And (laughs) I learned to love myself from the inside out, which was very new for me. And now I've written this book to help other women do the same. I love that. And I I love in the book you talk about just reading your, um, I guess, case files or your, your responses for the study you did and just sobbing, um, which I think is just a really beautiful representation of how we feel when we connect with other people's pain. 
um, how, you know, what was that like for you just to that, that realization that you're not alone, but also that we don't have to stay here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I write about in the book that, like you said, when I um, got, we threw what we call opinion parties in all 17 countries that we were doing the research in. And we had women like write letters to themselves of what they wished they knew about mothering and life before they became a mother. So almost like writing a letter to their younger selves. And they were so heartbreaking, and it cut across geography, socioeconomic class, race, religion, and these women basically were saying, don't beat yourself up so much, like, you can actually do this, like, don't take it, um, you know, to mean that you're failure when you make mistakes, but you could just read the pain in their words. And I knew immediately that it was an epidemic, that self-doubt was really destroying a lot of people's self-esteem and self-confidence all around the world and inside some of the most loving human beings, you know, mothers. It was, I would say it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was really freeing for me to to think, well, wait a second, if we all suffer from self-doubt, why are we not talking about the doubt? And why are we wearing a mask and pretending like we have everything under control or pretending that adoption is easy or whatever it is, you know, that we're, we're trying to cover up and put a mask on. So if... If we continue to hide our pain, we can't get the help and the support that we need. So it's time for women to be more honest and vocal and open up about what's troubling us. And and people really want to help and they want to understand. And so it doesn't have to be this hidden secret anymore. Yes. Well, and I mean, absolutely. And I love that. I think that it helps us to just that that's such a great starting point to say, you know, this isn't this isn't where we have to stay. And the idea that um, that we need this self discovery, we need to uh, you know identify our dragons, so to speak. Um, so, what was that like for you? You know, what were the specific dragons? How did that correlate with your motherhood? Well, I went back and, and did even more research after that initial study, and, and what I found was that 75% of the time, a woman's self-doubt is born during or before adolescence. And so, that was really illuminating for me that, you know, motherhood doesn't bring on self-doubt. It simply exacerbates it and makes it even worse because we now have 100 more reasons to think that we suck, you know, every yeah. day. And so that kind of set me on a journey of, okay, well, when was my self-doubt born and how was it born? And as a researcher, I found out that self-doubt can be brought on by anything from trauma, abuse, and neglect, all the way to a very small slight. I mean, I've heard stories of women say I was made fun of in the third grade because I couldn't pronounce a word correctly or um, things that would seem like small infractions to the outside world, but it kind of opened up someone's self-doubt and then the gap just widened over time. For me, my self-doubt was born when I was 15 years old in high school, and my first true love dumped me for another girl. And um, again, while that seems like very normal, you know, teenage um, existence, um, it hurt me pretty bad. And it was the first time that I experienced conditional love in my life, someone that I loved loved me one day and then didn't love me the next. And um, and so while my boyfriend at the time might have said, you know, I don't love you anymore, what I heard was that I wasn't lovable at all. 
And then when we have these kind of infractions on our self-esteem, we tend to then go and collect evidence that that they're right, you know, that we're not worthy of love. And so in my case, insert 20 years of insecure overachievement to try and prove myself to everyone except for myself. And, um, you know, there's only so long that you can do that before you fall apart. Yeah. Well, and I love something you said, just that motherhood exacerbates self-doubt. It it highlights it and not it it doesn't spur it on or it doesn't create it, which is super interesting to me because, you know, they say that about marriage, just that marriage doesn't, you know, it highlights your mistakes or that parenthood highlights the problems in your marriage. And so it's interesting that um, you're saying motherhood highlights the problems within yourself or the the self-doubt, which is an interesting concept. And I've never heard it like that before. And I think that that's totally true because we look to these, you know, completely like irrational creatures to fulfill needs within us, which is crazy when you think about it like that. Yeah, absolutely. I I interview a parenting coach by the name of Suzanne Hankey in my book. And she talks about like when we put the pressure on our children, knowingly or unknowingly to fill up our own holes, our own doubts, our own securities, it's, it's really unfair to a child, you know, to have to carry the burden of their own happiness, but then of their mother's happiness. It's a lot of weight. And a lot of times we don't know that we're doing that, but we allow you know, our um, children to kind of play that role in our lives again, sometimes even if it's subconsciously. And so I think that's something that that we all have to be aware of. Like we have to fix ourselves. We have to heal ourselves. I spend a lot of time in Slay Like a Mother talking about the negative voice in your head and negative self-talk. And the truth of the matter is you're the only one who can hear the way that you speak to yourself. So you're the only one who can fix it. And no child is or spouse or friend or therapist is ever going to be able to fix that for you. Absolutely. Um, and something, so moving past that, that time of self-discovery for you a little bit, you know, you, you talk about that in the beginning of your book, just saying, you know, this is where I was and this is where I am now. And, you know, as someone who's not there now, uh, it feels a little impossible even to read. And I think that that was your point in writing that if, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just saying like, this is how I feel now. And you know, that can be you too. Um, How did you reconcile, you know, when in your workshops or when you talk to women who are like, it's impossible to feel that much peace, how do you convince them that it, it, it's possible? Well, I would tell anybody who's listening that it's a journey and it would be a mistake or a very unrealistic expectation to think that you can fix this overnight. You know, it's just going to set you up for feeling like a failure. And, you know, I try to make it clear in the book that this was a two-year journey for me and it does take work. And, you know, I, I probably, I mean, just, I read so much. I went to conferences. I just absorbed it all, you know, audio, reading, everything. I could. I went to lots of therapy, as I said, lots of meditation. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't have that much time, you know, to put in to my my healing or to myself. And my response to that is then you're not broken enough yet because I was so broken and so hollow on the inside, despite being successful on the outside, that I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop learning because I 
I could not continue to live, um, you know, with this ferocious dragon inside of me, you know, calling the shot. So I would say expect that it's going to take a long time and some significant work. You know, in my case, it was 20 years of yelling at myself all the time of never feeling like I was good enough. That's not going to be eradicated, you know, quickly, but there are like small changes that you can make that really will make a big difference. And so I'll give you an example back to the negative self-talk start to pay attention and of what you say to yourself, either writing it down or trying to say it out loud or telling someone else because awareness is more than half the goal. You have to hear that negative self-talk in order to actually change it. So listen to yourself today and what you say to yourself and as often as you can, try to direct that voice towards a friend. Um, and what you would say. So as an example, I was giving a talk about my book um, a couple weeks ago, hundreds of people in the audience, and I showed a video and I happened to be in the video. And as soon as my face came up on the screen, I was like, oh my gosh, you look awful. You know, it was just instinctive, you know, old habits die hard. (laughs) And, um, And so first of all, I heard it. I heard the voice, which is huge. It sounds simple, but that's a big step for me. And then secondly, I said, you know what? I'm going to reframe that statement as if one of my friends just said that she looks awful in a video. And so what I said to myself is, you know what, Catherine, you don't look great in that video, but some days you do. And that was it. You know, I, I wasn't trying to inflate my ego and think, oh, you look great in that video. Cause I didn't. Um, but some days I pull it together, you know, and some (laughs) days I don't look like a trash fire. And so that's an example of don't try to overhaul your whole life and mindset. Just start there. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's incredible, um, practical advice. And that was actually just a side note. One thing I really liked about your book is I feel like so many things that you read, um, I'm, I'm, such a type A person. I'm an Enneagram one. So I am definitely like, just give me the steps, you know, give me the like advice. And I think that a mixture of that is obviously the best thing. But I love that in your book, you're like, we're going to get to the steps. We're going to talk about the practical, you know, this is how you do this. And I, I loved that. Like that's totally fitting my personality, but I wanted to ask you, um, what, so what in your own life were those breaking points? Um, what, what spurred on that two year journey for you? How, how did um how did you see those dragons influencing the way you were parenting and um and what made you want to change? The things that made me want to change one was the research that I mentioned earlier of just, mm-hmm. you know, feeling less alone, but it gave me the courage to start talking about it. So a huge um what I call catalytic moment, life-changing moment for me happened when um you know it's like a boring Wednesday night I was making spaghetti at home and I was getting ready to go back to my full-time job after being off for Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And my husband came in the kitchen and he said, you know, you seem like you're down. And I said, he said, you know, what's wrong? And for the majority of our marriage, I would have said nothing. I would have swept it under the rug, stamped it out, you know, like nothing, nothing here to say. And I decided not to lie anymore. And I confessed to him that, you know, I had been at home for a while and I felt like I was a good mother and a good wife. And now I had to go back to work and add kind of that third element in. And I was worried I couldn't be a good wife, a good mother, and a good employee all at the same time. And my husband, Richard, looked at me and he said, 
just be yourself, Catherine. What is so wrong with being you? And I didn't say anything out loud, but a very loud voice inside of my head said, I don't like me. You know, so his response, his question was, what's wrong with being you? And I was like, well, I don't like me. And so I, um, that's really what sparked the, the journey of, I wanted to start reading about you know, self-doubt and self-compassion and different therapeutic techniques because I wanted to understand why I didn't like myself. I almost treated myself like a research project, you know, like I'm, I have a lot of blessings in my life and I've, I've had a lot of, you know, fabulous experiences. So how could I, you know, live that life and, and not feel fulfilled or happy on the inside? So that was, I didn't really turn back after that. I was like a dog with a bone. Like I got to go do some research and <laughs> and figure this out. And to your question about how it affected my parenting, you know, people think it's selfish to spend time on yourself, to read self-help books, to go to therapy, to get a pedicure. But my husband and my children would tell you that I'm a better mother now that I love myself. And I yell at my children a lot less frequently. Um, I'm more understanding of my mistakes, of their mistakes. So I think I have more compassion for my children and for myself. So it's not as selfish as we think it is. Absolutely. And what is there? I mean, I know you just said that they would say you're a better mother now, but what, um, what was their reaction during this process? And, um, obviously with, excuse me, when you're walking with someone day in and day out, it's hard to see the, the big change, but yeah. what, what, what was, what is their perception or what was their perception through this process? Like, did they see that change in you or was it less obvious? I think they were so young at the time, so it was quite a while ago in the sense that that just to try my book proposal for Slay Like a Mother was rejected for four years by 23 publishers. So all, all of my self-help work was even before that. So they were a lot younger, and I would not say that they noticed at the time at all. And it's interesting that I mentioned this in the book that my husband, you know, I asked him like what he thought the biggest change in me was after I did this work on myself. And he said, you know, Catherine, to the outside world, I don't think a lot of people would notice. You were successful. You were accomplished before. You are now. The difference is in the way you see yourself. You love yourself the way other people have always loved you. And I thought that was really remarkable. And I agree with him that the change has been, you know, on the inside. So it may be less obvious to people. And and so, um, but I would, I think a lot of people could, could see a very stark difference in my career and the hours that I work that I'm not, um, I'm not giving every single thing to my job as I once did. Cause that left me with just nothing left at home. Yes. Well, and I, I love that he said that because it's totally true. It's like, you know, you're doing the same things. And for us as moms, like we can't, you know, stop feeding our kids or stop, you know, doing laundry but it's how much we hate ourselves through that process or how much we feel like we're drowning through that process that makes the big difference. You know, the results might look the same on paper, but 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, you know, it is a very silent battle that we're fighting and that can be hard, you know, and I ask women during my workshops to write down the last terrible thing that they said to themselves. And I invite anybody listening to go to slaylikeamother.com and there's a video of women revealing, reading these index cards of the last terrible thing that they said to themselves. And it is so horrific, Alex. I mean, it just makes me cry thinking about the things that we say to ourselves as women and mothers, and it's, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, it's a miracle your husband loves you. I mean, it's just gross. And I talk about in Slay Like a Mother the difference between men and women and negative self-talk. A man's negative self-talk, for the most part, tends to be critical, where for a woman, it's cruel. And it's, um, nobody knows that we think this about ourselves. You know, we hide it. And it's often very astonishing for men. And I'm sure that's something that moved your husband, you know, when he saw one of my talks, is it, it becomes very revealing about the women in a man's life. You know, like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this could even be a possibility that someone would think this about themselves. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you've seen, there was a video that came out a few years ago, and I actually think it was a French video. So there were subtitles, but it was they asked women to write down the things that they said to themselves. And then they they waited like several days. And then um, they went to, they had actors planted in a coffee shop and they would, ha they would say the things on these cards to each other around the woman who said them to herself. Just oh, to see her reaction. Wow. So the friend yeah. like, you're so ugly. Why did you do this? Why, you know, and all these things. <gasps> and almost every single time the women would turn around and be like, how could you be so mean to your friend? And then it was oh, revealed wow. like, you said this yourself, which is, I, I, I wish I, I mean, I'll, I'll, um, link to it in the show notes for those of you listening, but this just popped in my mind as you were talking. I remembered that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it does become, I mean, in that example, it's almost subconscious, you know, we're just berating ourselves and belittling ourselves all day. And for so many women that come to my workshops, they're not even aware that they've been doing it. They have no idea. Um, in the, in the book, I talk about how there's a great book on this topic of negative self-talk. It's called The Untethered Soul, and I quote it in my book saying, if we extracted the negative voice in our head and turned it into a human being, and that human being followed us around all day, every day, and said to us out loud, what we say to ourselves, we wouldn't even make it to lunchtime. You know, yeah. we would just collapse in a pile of tears. I mean, but we don't tell the negative voice to stop it. You know, we listen, we believe it, we kneel at the altar of it. Um, but I am living proof that you can stop doing that. And I tell any of the women that I work with, I'm not a magician. I don't possess magical skills. There's nothing that I have inside of me that anybody listening to this podcast does not also have inside of them. So it is possible. Yeah. And and if you were to speculate a little bit, you know, moving moving more into the world of adoption, which I know is not something that you live firsthand, but just in your research and in your studies, you know, what what differences would you say or what unique struggles would you say that we have as adoptive moms who have kids that, you know, we didn't birth, um, who have their own story and their own trauma that we're now putting on ourselves and taking on guilt for, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Um, my best friend um, is an adoptive mom and actually the editor who edited my entire book and really helped me get this book deal. Slay Like a Mother wouldn't exist without 
Christina, and and she also is an adoptive mom, and and we have seen it in research. And I think the way it comes up is that um, the pain that you worry for your you know child of the trauma that they have experienced or their own feelings of unworthiness is exactly as you said, you know, twenty pounds of extra burden and weight, you know, carried around on top of the cooking and cleaning and washing and scrubbing. You know, and all the stuff that every mother has to do. And I think while we're scared of our own self-doubt, we are terrified of our child's. And so I think for adoptive moms, the, the self-doubt can absolutely be compounded. Yes. And especially when we, I mean, again, you look at this on paper and we can tell ourselves, we literally have no control over this situation. You didn't cause this situation. You cannot physically reroute their brain. Like, sure, you can look through different parenting styles and connected child and attachment parenting and whatever else. And that's a process. But I think that we put so much shame on ourselves for not having it together now or for not being able to fix it because we literally cannot fix it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think any, you know, time, effort, energy for any of us trying to fix or undo, you know, things from the past, you know, it's simply not going to work, obviously. But it's also a matter of talking about and being open with your child, I feel like, in an adoptive situation. Because any dragon of self-doubt, regardless of how it's born, thrives in silence and avoidance and darkness. It just gets bigger. And so having a home, um, a adoptive or otherwise, where children can express their fears, can tell you about their doubts, and they're not dismissed or brushed under the carpet, I think is, um, I've seen a lot of that in my work of talking about hard things out loud really reduces the power that they could have over you if, if you felt it needed to be more secretive. Yes. And I, I, I was, you said that and I was flipping through your book, trying to remember how you spoke it, just that darkness, you know, breeds that, that, or I mean, not darkness, I'm sorry, secrecy mm-hmm. breeds that darkness. And yeah, and that honesty can, I don't know, I think that we feel like we have to not even necessarily pretend like it's okay for others, but sometimes we have to pretend like it's okay for ourselves. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, we have to admit that situations are hard because the problem is, and this is in um, the chapter about the difference between struggling and suffering. And struggling is brought on by the external forces in your life. So being an adoptive mom is a struggle. Having a child that wants to know more about their background may or may not have access to it. That is a legitimate struggle. But we suffer when we dip down and we think we're the only person with that struggle. Or we think that we should be handling that struggle better, you know, looking at other adoptive parents and how they're doing it and they're more successful at it or they have a better relationship with it, whatever it is. Yeah. And so the truth is that you are never going to outrun the struggle, any struggle, even dinner time is a struggle. It's the number one struggle of mothers in America. And so you can't move your way out of the struggle, grow your way out of it, buy your way out of it. Like you're stuck. The human existence is a struggle, but you can reduce the suffering. And while it might be sound overwhelming, it's actually meant to be empowering is that if you cause your suffering, you can uncause it. And that's admitting that a situation is hard. And so, you know, for in my case, writing my first book was very hard. It's 75,000 words. I'd never done it before. But instead of beating myself up for not being better, I put a, a post-it note on my computer that said, I expect this to be hard. 
And then every day when it was hard, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I expected this. And I would say for adoptive moms or parents, that's something to like expect that it's going to be harder. It's going to be a challenge. And so then when it is, it's it's at least not avoided or you're not shaming yourself for not, you know, doing it perfectly. Okay, friends, I hope you're loving getting to know my new friend, Catherine, but I had to cut in here and let you guys know about the giveaway she and I are doing to celebrate the release of Slay Like a Mother in paperback. We're giving away five, count them, five copies to drawing winners who share this episode of the Adoptive Mom podcast and tag me and Catherine on the social medias. Make sure that if your account is private, you take a screenshot and send it to me in a message so I can see it and get you entered. That's it. Just share the episode. That's all you have to do. We're giving away five copies. It's kind of a no-brainer. So happy sharing, and let's get back to the show. The next really big um, thing that I wanted to ask you about just in reading this book, and I've underlined like crazy, is Mm -hmm. this whole thing about sensitivity. And I think that especially you, I mean, you are a great example of a powerful woman who's doing really cool things. And I think that we're told that if we want to be, you know, someone like you who is a CEO of a company and all this stuff, then we have to like turn off that sensitivity chip a little bit and harden ourselves. And I love that you're saying like that, you know, you're a good mom or you do a good job because you're sensitive. Uh, So talk to us a little bit about that. My research shows that 20% of the population is considered highly sensitive and that, and I, I, you know, I've never had a study done on myself, but I believe I am that human being (laughs) because of my um, experience. And it means that our, our eyes are wider open. We take in more information. We ruminate on it more. It sticks to us a little bit harder. And, um, and we can't just move past things as others can. So in my household, I have. Uh, I had an older brother, uh, three years older. We're still very close, and I interviewed him um, before writing the book and about his experience when our parents were disappointed in us. You know, we were teenage. You know, teenagers making mistakes, getting in trouble, sneaking out, whatever. And my brother's reaction to my parents' disappointment was, "Well, I didn't let it ruin my day." And I was like, I was in therapy for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, and so we are the same human raised by the same people. But my experience was that I thought they didn't love me when I was in trouble. I just processed that situation differently. And while I would love to turn off my sensitivity at times because it makes me cry a lot, I'm an incredibly empathetic human being, um, I can't turn it off and it's not possible. But also, it, I think it makes me a, a better person. I mean, one of the reasons I never gave up when Slay Like a Mother was rejected by 23 publishers is because I want to help heal mothers around the world. It's not because I want to be an author. It's because I want to help people because I'm sensitive. And so, there's a hundred examples of how much my sensitivity has helped me and and probably more importantly helped me help other people. But um, yeah, I do think our society, you know, frowns upon it. But again, back to not being able to change, don't worry about things you can't change. That's, that's not a characteristic of mine that's going away anytime soon. Yeah. Well, and as adoptive moms, um, I think that that sensitivity, again, it makes us, we're made to feel like 
we have to turn that off to be successful in anything, not in, not just in business, but in motherhood, even that we need to harden ourselves or we need to be tougher or whatever. But I, I love Again, I love how much you say that that makes you the right woman for the job. Um, what would you say is the correlation for that, uh, sensitivity and adoptive motherhood? Well, I mean, I, I, not being one, I would make a hypothesis that it is your sensitivity that got you in this realm. I mean, that you have incredible sensitivity and empathy for children um, to be raised in a loving household and have the support that every human being deserves. Um, and so I, I would think that that would be a catalyst for adoptive parents to use that empathy and that sensitivity to make a, a challenging, um, you know, decision and, and stand behind it and, and deal with the additional struggles that come along with it. I think it would demonstrate great sensitivity. I think you just have to be careful with anybody that's sensitive of not having it bottom out where all of your time and energy goes to helping other people and you don't have anything left for yourself. I think that's just a watch out for anyone. Yes. Uh, good stuff. And before we before we get into closing questions, I just want to ask you, and again, I want to encourage everyone who's listening, definitely go buy Slay Like a Mother. It is so, so good. And um, I'll obviously be posting show notes, links, and everything on how to do that. But if you could give us a little bit of a teaser, um, your whole, uh, I know you have like how to spot a dragon checklist, but can you just talk to us about the importance of going back to that trauma, back to those roots and I, and starting at the beginning before we can start this, um, just this kind of discovery process. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I talk about that there's three signs that, that you're living with a dragon, just if anybody needs that quick gut check. So the first is that you yell at yourself all day long. So start to pay attention if you're doing that. Second, you hide but your true feelings behind a mask. When people ask you how you are, you say you're great when you're maybe falling apart on the inside. And then finally, you can't say no. And, you know, you're just constantly saying no to yourself, but yes to everybody else. And um, I think it's imperative to go back and realize when and why your dragon was born. Who told you that you were not worthy of love or who showed you, you know, in, in ways that, that made you feel unloved? And by naming it, it does reduce its power over you. So for me, really doing some soul searching and figuring out what was the line in, my, in the sand where I felt freer before and held captive after in life, even though that it appeared okay on the outside, just became a lot harder on the inside. And, you know, again, and it, it maybe it's trauma, but maybe it was something slight, but don't be embarrassed if it was something slight. Like it doesn't, you need to figure out how and when your dragon was born, but in some ways it doesn't matter um, because don't be ashamed by it because, it, it no longer has the hold over you. You've now taken over and are yelling at yourself all the time. And um, so I just think that the point of going back in time is not to live there, but to reduce the power of the initial, you know, hurt. Absolutely. Seriously, just amazing stuff. And I'm, um, I'm really excited for everyone listening to be able to read this book and 
have your own self-discovery as an adoptive mom or as someone who's supporting adoptive moms to be able to say, you know, this, this struggle doesn't have to define me and that I can do, you know, the good work of adoptive motherhood without letting it um, break me um, or keep me broken, so to speak. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a, I think it's so wonderful what you're doing, Alex, because you're giving a voice to women in situations that can be a struggle. And again, the goal is to struggle and you're helping women and parents and adoptive parents, you know, navigate through the struggle and put a voice to, you know, some of the, the self doubt that comes along with it. And so you're really shining a light on that. And, um, and I have no doubt that it, it's helping so many people also feel like they're less alone. And and back to what I said earlier, I think anybody feeling less alone can be a spark for their own change. Well, thank you. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm so excited for the work that you're doing um, for all moms, which is super cool. And I love that it's coming from a research perspective too. Um, and just saying, you know, this again, I know I've said it earlier, but just, you don't have to live here. You don't have to live in this brokenness that you can turn it around and have some peace. And that's awesome. Um, are you cool with getting in some of these closing questions? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish you had known at the beginning of your journey? I wish I had known at the beginning of my book writing journey that it was actually going to work out. <laughs> um, it was just such a long, you know, hard journey. And I would say that too of my self-help journey that I wish I knew that it was going to end up okay. Yes, that's a good one. Um, what do you wish you had done differently? I wish I had been honest with people about my hurt and my pain a lot earlier in life. I didn't start opening up about it until I was 35 years old after living with the dragon from 15 to 35. And um, I think I, I could have had relief earlier in my life if I was brave enough to say some of it out loud. Yeah. Um, and that's important for everyone to remember for sure. What? Um, how did your people best support you through your process? I would say that the greatest support is is just recently, now that the book is out, of people just being like, can I help you bring books to this event? Can I help, you know, carry this backdrop in? Like being an author and kind of an advocate for a particular cause can be very lonely. And so people that want to kind of share that burden with me is um, very much appreciated. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know I, I can totally imagine that, uh, on the flip side though, what is a way that you have felt hurt or misunderstood throughout your process? Um, I think that it was my own doing if I was misunderstood. And I would say a lot of people throughout my journey thought my life was pretty put together and polished, you know, on the outside because that's what I wanted to think them to think. And um, but there was an enormous gap in between the the facade that I was wearing and putting out in the world and how I actually felt. So I think any misunderstanding that life was easy for me was a message that I was putting out there. Yeah. Um, that's important again for everyone to remember because I think that those are some of the negative voices that you can tell yourselves or uh, the negative uh, thoughts you can tell yourself, excuse me. But um, if you could sum it all up into just one piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive moms, what would you say? 
Um, I would say my advice is to know and believe that the chaos around you will become light years easier when you're not also fighting the chaos inside of you. Oh man, that is a, that's a quote right there, guys. Like put, <laughs> put that on like a, you know, beach background. or <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it goes back to the the external struggles are not going to go away, but they become a little bit easier to handle and deal with when you don't hate yourself on the inside, too. Definitely. Well, okay, Catherine, where can we follow you and find you? And um, obviously, I'll, I'll link in the show notes to your book, but where can we buy your book as well? Um, the book can be bought on um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart. Um, it's also available on Audible if people are in the car a lot, like we were talking about, and want to listen to it. And I'm actually, um, I, I recorded it, and so it's my voice, so I can read you your bedtime stories if you want. Um <laughs> And uh, invite anybody to follow us along on Instagram and Facebook at uh, slaylikeamother.com. Love it. Love it. And guys, um, for those of you listening, Catherine and I are about to go have a more fun, like getting to know Catherine conversation over on Patreon. So if you want to be a part of that, head to patreon.com slash the adoptive mom. But for now, thank you so much, Catherine. Thanks for having me. so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast i hope you found encouragement here i need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job we are all in this together and i am over here cheering you on don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom thanks for joining us